You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Life's more fun when you're out finding adventure together, and the new Santa Fe is designed to help you get more out of that quality time. The Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV with intuitive technology. The newly designed Santa Fe offers H-Track all-wheel drive capability, intuitive tech, and safety features to get you where you're going with confidence and the personalized style to do it your own way. An SUV with family fun in mind that proves that out together is truly better. It's got H-Track all-wheel drive, dynamic safety features, dual blind spot view monitor, and user profiles with a 10.25-inch full-touch infotainment screen. To learn more, go to Hyundai.com. He's defeated the most formidable supervillains known to man. Now the world's most famous superhero faces the ultimate challenge, parenthood. Tuesdays on The CW from the creators of The Flash comes the incredible new series, Superman and Lois. As if raising teenagers isn't tricky enough, Clark and Lois worry about whether their sons will be able to handle the truth about Clark's identity and whether they too will inherit his Kryptonian superpowers. The Kent family's most amazing adventure is about to begin. Don't miss unbelievable new episodes of Superman and Lois Tuesdays, 9-8 Central on The CW or stream free next day on The CW app. Welcome to the Black Girl Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and this is Black History Month. I'm so excited for this cool episode I have for you guys today. And, you know, there are certain names, certain historical figures that I feel like you cannot leave this month and really all year round. Um, you need to talk about these figures because it's so important to Black history, so important to Black culture, and also for the younger generations to have these stories so they know and have the correct information because we know sometimes that's not always put out there right or presented right. So today, the person I'm talking about, historical figure I'm talking about is Malcolm X, and I cannot think of a more perfect, a more a better guest that I'm more excited to talk to than who I have with me today. She is the daughter of Malcolm X. She is a professor. She's an activist, a motivational speaker, and knows how to use her words where you will have the feels from beginning to end in all of her books. I'm talking about Ilyasa Shabazz. Hello, Ilyasa. How you doing? Hi, Ryan. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be on this podcast, Black Girl Nerds. I love it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm so excited to talk. Listen, this is this had me in my feelings, in my feels from beginning to end. So well written. You can hear all of, you can just hear all the emotion, just feel all the emotion from each word. But I wanted to start with um, one of the quotes here for the listeners. Um, 
by Malcolm X, it's in the book. It says, my alma mater was books, a good library. I can spend the rest of my life reading, just satisfying my curiosity. And I wanted to start with that because I wanted to ask you, what was it, what is it about literature? What is it about um, this this form of storytelling that really pulls you in or, or you know, really grabs you somehow or give, or what does it give to you? Well, you know, first I want to say that it, you know, I selected to do this book with Tiffany D. Jackson because, mm-hmm. you know, she's such an awesome, a phenomenal um, young adult novelist. And mm-hmm. what I especially liked is that she comes from the film world, which meant that she was a visualist. And right. so we could take Malcolm and be very clear on who he was, that, you know, there would be no opportunity to uh, create a different image of Malcolm through this book and using his own words. He loved books. Um, you know, I'm every time you would see young Malcolm, he always had a book in his back pocket or somewhere. And, and mm-hmm. we see Malcolm when he became Malcolm X, you know, in the late 50s and early 60s, always reading. And, you know, people say that he is, you know, a brilliant person. Well, that's because of his love for books. And um, he's quoted, this is one of the things I discovered when writing this book, that he's quoted 53.7 thousand times per hour in social media, which is a clear, right, which is um, the clearest evidence that young people want to know the truth about Malcolm X, because mm-hmm. certainly what they learned, they're discovering is inaccurate. And when they see these, you know, the, these brutal killings, um, especially on, on, on our cameras and in social media, mm-hmm. you know, it's just difficult. And so they're looking for leaders who are wise and who speak truth. And we know that truth is timeless, whose work provides yeah. insight and strategies and tactics that they can employ themselves to meet these systemic challenges head on. And I'm grateful that they're turning to Malcolm. It's this young generation of leaders um, will Mm -hmm. have the capacity to recognize, this is what my father said, to recognize our collective humanity and and demand the change, um, not only demand change, but are willing to do the necessary work to ensure that change, systemic change, actually happens. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. We deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. And every day, I am taking Ritual. I love this multivitamin. First and foremost, I love the minty, refreshing taste that it has every time I take this vitamin. I like the way it looks. It's very attractive. And you know what? It's very healthy. It's vegan friendly, it's formulated with high quality nutrients, and it's in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. A multivitamin should contain key nutrients and forms your body can actually use to help fill gaps in the diet. No shady extras. Ritual's delayed release capsule design delivers high quality nutrients including vitamin D3 and just two daily pills. And what makes Rituals so easy is these multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping, always. 
You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription at any time. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. How awesome is that? So how about this? Get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com forward slash nerds to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com forward slash nerds. Yeah, and speaking of, of change and fight, this story to me is so unique. Like we have, a, you know, we have the documentaries, we have different books and movies. For this, um, the by the way, um, author of The Awakening of Malcolm X is the book we're talking about here. For this one going down to Charleston State Prison, the way we follow Malcolm X in here is just so you it just it feels like as a reader, you're journeying with him, like met physically and mentally. You're in a box. It feels like with him and you're just dealing with how do you get out of that a box? You know, how do you free yourself mentally when you feel like you're trapped, so to speak? It's kind of this cool, this cool journey that you take us on here along with Tiffany. That's right. And go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go, please. Um, and I was going to say what. Um, I guess starting out here, why this particular story? You know, there's so much, there's so many layers to Malcolm X's life. So many, um, you know, he was way ahead of his time. Why was this a, a story that you really wanted to get out there? Well, what I wanted to make sure that I got out is that Malcolm didn't go to jail and miraculously become Malcolm X. He became Malcolm X because of the foundation of his parents, his father being a mm-hmm. Baptist minister. Um, the president, the chapter president of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, founded by Marcus Garvey, commanding millions of followers in the 1920s, that his mm-hmm. mother was the recording secretary for this organization. And when you have two activist parents, you make sure that your children are equipped and, and capable of navigating through Jim Crow America. But his father was... Uh, lynched by the KKK. His mother was institutionalized seven years later and their Mm -hmm. family land that his father purchased that was reserved for whites only was seized and the family was torn apart. And so for Malcolm to, you know, find his way to jail um, 12 or 13 years later um, is indicative of what happens to our young people. And I thought that this was an opportunity Um, to also look at the criminal justice system. I work at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted an opportunity to look at young inmates' humanity, um, being at the wrong place or at the right place at the wrong time, that there are approximately 3 million people in our nation's prison today. And and while only 32% of the U.S. population is people of color, African-American, Latinx, all of these other, you know, people of color of the incarcerated population that 56% is incarcerated. Mm. And in 2012, the United States spent 81 billion taxpayer dollars on correction facilities, not education, not after school Mm. program, but on correctional facilities. And since 1970, the incarcerated population has increased by 
hundred percent. And this is what's happening to our children. And so, you know, at some point we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be a part of the problem by doing nothing? Are we going to be a part of the solution? And, and Brian Stevenson, you know, also speaks to that, that we are more Mm -hmm. than the worst mistake that we ever made and that we will be judged not by how we treat the rich and the celebrated by how we, but by how we treat the impoverished and the incarcerated. Yeah. And you really, and that was going to be my next question that you just jumped right in there too, because I said, as an activist, you were, yeah, you can definitely feel that you are trying to bring light to the prison, the conditions in Mm. prison. You know, and it's just, and it's very frustrating and you get a little, you know, you get a little, like I said, you get a little in your feelings and your feels hearing, hearing you and Tiffany describe these stories and talk about, like you get the words through um, Malcolm X of, you know, the like just the how tight the cells are and continuing to cram people in. And you're thinking this is, you know, years in the past, but it's not really because the prison system is still, you know, continuing to, you have to fight for certain, the you know, the right, the appropriate conditions in certain prisons. Right. People that are wrongfully convicted. Right. Right. And it's just horrific. You know, the, the conditions. Um, now, if we're spending eighty one billion dollars on correctional facilities, you mean to tell me that the conditions have to be the way they are, that they're not also right. allowed to have books, you know, that they're not also allowed to have at least better food selections. You exactly, know, and when yeah. I say better food selections, I'm just saying food that is digestible. I'm a vegan, right. you know, let yeah. them have to give, yeah. give them some real food. Don't give them schlosh. Exactly. Yeah. I was just looking at all that stuff. And like you said, in the book, you'll see this. Just do it. If you just go out and just do research, just Google. It's yeah. it's just unbelievable. The kind of conditions, you know, especially when you're in that kind of situation, you know, as I say, like we take the journey with Malcolm X, other prisoners who have been, you know, like you said, you were in, you got called up. You're not, you know, um, the conviction wasn't thoroughly, you know, processed, go through and you're in this condition, you're in these prisons. And this is what you're facing, you know, and it's like, and it feels like there's nothing you can do about it. There is nothing you can do about it. And it's horror. It's terror. Um, you know, they even say solitary confinement is not conducive for human um, survival. Mm-hmm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so many things that they do behind bars. It's just awful. And we see what they do before they get to the prison. Yeah. We see the mm-hmm. shooting in the back. We see, you know, just these horrific, brutal um, treatment. And so we can only imagine what happens once those gates, those iron gates are closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. And speaking too about that too, going more into the research here, can you tell us a little bit about how were you in finding some of the, 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 the facts and background on Malcolm X going throughout this story? Was this getting to talk to family, like kind of sit down and reminisce about old stories and everything? Well, you know, it's funny that, um, my aunt Hilda, who's my father's eldest uh, sister, she mm-hmm. used to tell me when I, I went to visit her when I was in college and she would just share with me stories about their young life. And, and um, so I wanted to make sure that I showed the camaraderie between her parents and, you know, the scholarship of them that, you know, Malcolm, again, didn't go to jail and miraculously become Malcolm X. He became Malcolm X because he reflected back on who his father was, who his mother was, what were the values they instilled in him, his legacy, mm-hmm. and understanding all of that. And and um, also, you know, I mentor a lot of young people, and especially my nephew, Malcolm. 
he used to always say to me, auntie, my, you know, my life mirrors my grandfather's. And I would think, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. Your, your life and my father's life is no, you know, there's no comparison. But when I thought about it, you know, there was a big, there was big, great comparisons, Mm -hmm. you know, that he did have a substantive foundation. You know, he Mm -hmm. he did, uh, my mother mentored him. His aunts mentored him. He went to a, a Marcus Garvey school. I mean, so he had all kinds of um, similarities with my father. And then when he was out of our jurisdiction, we no longer could protect him. He experienced, you know, the horrors in life that say you are a young black um, male. And these are the things that happen to you if you don't have um, guidance, protection. You don't have that village, you know, that it takes to raise um uh, you know, our children. And so I was able to just sort of go into those kinds of modes. And then the other thing I have to say with Tiffany, mm-hmm. Tiffany and I, you know, we were able to get, you know, once COVID happened, we didn't know what was going to happen to the world. Right. We didn't know what was happening, yeah, in books, yeah. let alone to our lives. Right. And I came across a gentleman who was working on a film about my father in, in the um, colony. And he had, a whole lot of records um, from the warden. And then I also came across this gentleman who was doing a biography of my father's young life during the same period in Japan. And so we would have, I know, so we would have these like phone sessions. And I finally said, you know, guys, it looks like we are going to live, right? Because we really didn't know what this this pandemic was, right? And and so Mm -hmm. I said, this is no coincidence that the three of us are working on the same time period. So he was able to give Mm -hmm. me all of this great information about my father on the debate team. Um, you know, while at the colony prison, this experimental luxurious prison, believe it or not. And they're debating Ivy league schools, Harvard, Boston university, Mm -hmm. and, and my father's performance that he was a star debater and that they had broadcasted his debate against the uh, capital punishment system in Boston because he was so impressive. And so we yeah. got, you know, a lot of information and, and I was so happy, you know, I remember calling up Tiffany and telling her and she was like, you know, can't really believe that this is really the case. And when she got the information, she was just like, Oh my gosh. So, you know, it was really, you know, we were blown away by a lot of, of this stuff, a lot of the information and the poem that my father had written just happened to be in Shorty's file. Oh, well, okay. Mm-hmm. Because my father's files, for some reason, had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to say, that's one of my favorite things, of uh, one of my favorite sections of this book, when you talked about the debates. Because you think about um, the Malcolm X speeches you've heard and like little excerpts, you know, here and there, and it explains so much. And just right. the, 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 um, the him going out and being nervous or not pronouncing his words all the way. And you're like, no, that's not Malcolm X. You oh, know, until you hear but like, wait a minute, Al- yes, yeah. that's Malcolm as a young person. That's him in his teens and twenties. Right, right, right. I'm saying okay. you just, it kind of gives you like that, um, you know, it's like a cool detail I meant to say of finding out about him, you know, because you don't think, because he is so, you know, all the speeches and stuff that we have now, all the quotes that we have now. Right, right. It's, it's interesting. I feel like it'll resonate with a lot of young people that maybe you want to go on a motivational speaking, maybe you want to be a speaker, 
And, you know, having that guts to just step out and say, hey, I'm just going to try this. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of knowledge that I want to get out to everybody and I want to try. So I thought it was so interesting how um, you and Tiffany brought that out, like showed how he started out. Right. You know, maybe not as assured of himself. And then to the Malcolm X we have now or we know now. Right. Right. Um, Well, you know, he was always smart. Um, One of the things that we discovered is that my father didn't read the dictionary so he could learn how to write. He already knew how to write. He, he willingly learned the dictionary so he can know the etymology, the root word mm-hmm. to words so that when he was debating, he was prepared. So he was, yeah. yeah so he was always, uh, you know, making sure that he was the best at whatever it is, it is he did, whether he was yeah, out on cool. the streets or whether yeah. he was in prison or whether he was, you know, speaking at Oxford or speaking in Harlem or speaking in Selma, you know, that mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that he gave the people the best information that he could because he was compassionate. And these were all the things that he learned from his mother and from his father. Yeah, so, that's so great. Such inspiration, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it was funny that that was the reason that he began sending letters to the drug dealers that went unanswered, mm, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Saying, hey, you know, we really do have I- an identity. We we really do have history, you know, that that was mm-hmm. his, you know, his truth. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's just so many past, so many interesting past and, and aspects of Malcolm X's life. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the most important lesson you learned from your father? Um, self-love. But, you know, I would like to just read this, um, this, uh, something that my father had written. Can oh, I? yeah, please. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It says, he, he wrote, that black musician, he picks up his horn and starts blowing some sounds that he never thought of before. He improvises. He creates it. It comes from within. It's his soul. It's that soul music. It's the only area on the American scene where the black man has been free to create. And he's mastered it. He's shown that he can come up with something nobody ever thought of on his horn. Well, likewise, he can do the same thing if given intellectual independence. He can come up with a new philosophy. He can invent a society, a social system that is different from anything that exists or has ever existed. And so that was my father's truth. And, 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 you know, wanting to let us understand that we can do whatever we put our minds to mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. In, in every arena there's, we've been placed in a box with these restrictions, but with music, we've been able to create and look what we've created because we're not in a box and we're not restricted and we're not limited with our creativity. And and so that speaks a lot to Malcolm. And that is the person that he's really always, he, he really always has been. Yeah, Ilyasi, you're coming through with, let me tell you, I'm just sitting here taking notes. You're coming through with the motiv- with the motivation today. I love it. It's so amazing. That was amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Ryan. Um, I want to add, let me um, kind of switch gears a little bit here because I'd love to get your take on this. Um, Vice President Kamala Harris, Everybody just, I know everybody was glued to screen. I know I was. <laughs> Recently got on the National Mall, got a, a shattered glass portrait. Have you heard about this? I didn't. 
So, you know, basically, you know, um, commemorating that she has uh, broke the glass ceiling oh, for, okay. in so many wow. ways, a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just kind of curious to get your take on that going forward and, you know, what that means, you know, so much to our community and, you know, little girls of color watching her and everything. Oh, I think this is really great. And I think just as, you know, regardless of what, you know, of how we're going to critique um, President Obama, the fact is that that image was so profound to our young people, right? Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. see this yeah, man absolutely. in the office and to have this position as the president of the United States. And I think right. the same thing with Vice President Car- Kamala Harris, that for young women, that this is really, you know, a, a wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that Black power, nor woman power, is exclusionary. Right. Yes. Voting to ensure that we have more visionary people, solution oriented women, especially in office. Um, And I think that we can't also forget the historic role of the black woman, like Stacey Abrams, for example, who secured almost a million voters for the Democratic victory. Mm -hmm. And my father said that our society is measured on the progress of its women. So. Let's pray that, you know, we have an opportunity Mm -hmm. now to really to do this work and um, to not stop, not get complacent, you know, just because she's in office, but that we continue to do the work that we are supposed to do while she's in office. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be great and amazing to see. And yeah, like I said, I know for inauguration, I was glued to the screen. Yes. And I know. all the. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Especially, um, especially but, when Michelle Obama came out. Yes, the walk down the <laughs> oh steps. My gosh. That thing is on all kind of social media. Yeah, I, I think we all kind of lost it on that moment. <laughs> I mean, you just could not help it. And it, it yeah. you just could not help it. You just had to stop and look and just mm-hmm. laugh and say, well, damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's what you had to do. Like, you just sit there staring. I probably looked at that picture. Like, you know, the picture was everywhere after it dropped. That's and right. I probably was just sitting there for like a good 10, 15 minutes or so just kind of staring. I'm like, how is every time, uh-huh. you know, just every time I'm telling you, like all of these, all of these people in history, all these icons, the circle figures, they just got something about them. I'm telling you every time they nail it. That's right. That's right. That's right. Including Malcolm X. And that's why I thank you so much for sharing the Awakening on Malcolm X with us. You guys need to go get it. Check it out. You'll be amazed at the detail, the facts you find in this. Um, Ariasa, before we wrap though, I got to have a little nerd moment with you mm-hmm. and maybe you could kind of give us a little tips here for maybe people coming out, uh, wanting to get in, maybe get into writing and all that kind of stuff. But we're all trapped in, in the house, you know, most of us for the pandemic and everything. Do you have any kind of go-to tech as in you have apps, any kind of, you know, I don't know, like a phone, iPad, something that you have to have right now that you always need around you? Or if you got a tip you want to give us for writing, like something you have to have around you, something that makes it a little easier, any kind of tools. Well, you know, it's so funny. When I needed my release, right, mm-hmm. I would go on Instagram and I would see D-Nice has been a friend of mine for a long time. He's an amazing mm-hmm. person. Okay. Yeah. And so I would always go to his um, uh, uh, his handle and just listen to his music. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside of that, I... My premise is really our education curriculum. And so, you know, I think it's important to understand that Black history is American history, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that if the terrorism of slavery 
and the and the massacres in uh and mm-hmm. in Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Rosewood, Florida, for example, is taught in high school US history classes to be as yeah. American as the Boston Tea Party, then mm-hmm. our education would be based on truth, historical facts. Yeah. And more citizens would understand the necessity of reparation. And we'd have the opportunity to teach our young people, all people, to learn truth and human compassion. And if in world history classes, the truth that Africa is the cradle of the most advanced civilization that ever uh, Mm -hmm. to exist in mankind in these impressive kingdoms of Futagello, Ghana, Mali, Egypt, got even half Mm -hmm. the attention that Greece and Rome do, then we Americans might appreciate the present complexity of Black civilizations in Africa without learning how to hate and learning how to discriminate, but making sure that our children learn how to love and respect for ourselves and humanity. Absolutely. There you go. I, I don't think I could have said, I mean, how else do you, what do you say after that? No, I love that. That's great. Yeah. You need to have that. And um, what you did with this book, what people need to continue to do as professors, activists, continue to push that out there. The generation, because the generation coming up, the kids, they don't know all this stuff. They don't know, you know, where it all comes from, some of their backgrounds. And it's very important, especially in the time period that we're living in for that stuff to continue, the information to continue to flow. That's right. And and, and it's important that we control our own narratives that, you know, we don't just sit back and complain, but that we understand that change change doesn't happen until we're willing to do the work. And that's Mm -hmm. what I applaud this generation for. And people like you, you know, who have these platforms and that you're use, utilizing it, you know, so well. And how grateful, you know, we, um, the generation that precedes you, how grateful and and proud that we are of you. Oh well, thank you so much. And listen, I want to start speaking to of of taking it to the next level, going um, to keep the information going. You're trying to transition to the entertainment realm. Can you realm? Can you tease anything for us that you got coming up? Um, well, I wouldn't say that I'm tr- trying to, to well. Okay, this is what I'll say. Well, transition, like, are you getting, are you doing, I should have said, are you doing like TV, are you doing more like TV movies coming up or anything like that? Yes, yes. Um, Taking some of this information that we have and turning it into, um, uh, you know, multimedia um, kinds of, uh... okay, so I'm glad, this isn't live, right? No, no, no. Okay, no. good. Okay, let's, let, me, <laughs> let me just think. Okay, so um, because I was in, okay, so this is what I say. I was in the entertainment industry when I was younger. And I think if this was a really fair and just world, I probably would be in the arts. Um, and so now I have an opportunity to take my work and bring it to the arts, you know, and bring it to, you know, produ- productions. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, we're excited. Like, if it, I'm like, like I said, I was completely wrapped from beginning to end to the awakening of Malcolm X. So I cannot wait to see if that was a movie, TV series. So yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it. Thank you, by the way. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. So much you like me. It it's has. very great. It has. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really enjoyed my time with you. And everybody stay safe. And again, go check it out. Go buy it. The Awakening of Malcolm X. You will not believe the stories and facts you're going to find in here. Everybody stay safe. Thank you, guys. 
Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And, you know, it's Black History Month, so I'm so excited to bring you um, this book I want to talk to you about today. Because, you know, one of the things about Black History Month or... I know one of the things that for sure pulls me in is it's so in, intriguing to go back and and reflect on the icons that have done so much for the black community and just look throughout our history and 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 um, find out new information, people that we didn't know about. But, you know, um, it's interesting, too, how we do it on such a large scale. And sometimes we forget about just individual families um, and going back and, and researching you know, our, our grandfathers, our grandparents, you know, more about our parents. So um, that brings me to my guest today, Jessica Sims. Her book called Finding Home has got me definitely thinking, um, you know, just about back early, early um, 1900s, um, back in segregation, just all the, 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 the facts and histories that we overlook because, you know, sometimes we just don't think to do that background research. So um, first of all, Jessica, let me welcome you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I'll just start out from the, before we dive into finding home, just starting out from the beginning, you are, you're a poet, writer, author, but you've also, you also have a, um, you also used to be in the army, right? Yes, I did. Thank you for your service, by the way. And, um, also a corrections officer. And so tell me, it's such an interesting background that you have. Why, why going into, why go into writing? Like, what do you like about storytelling? Well, the main thing that I like about storytelling is the fact that, I can create characters and make them be who I want them to be or make them say what I want them to say without getting a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that is that's is a good point. Yeah, when you're the when you're the person creating, pulling the strings, yeah, there's not a lot of people in the background to kind of stop you from sharing your story. Right. So um, what was kind of give us like a little bit, I know you don't want to probably don't want to give too much away because for people to go and check out Finding Home. But um, why write Finding Home? Like, where did that where did that whole idea kind of come to you from? I wrote the book because my family, well, my mother had six sisters and they never knew really where they came from because their father uh, came from somewhere. They didn't know where, but he ended up in Montgomery, Alabama, and um, he had them. Mm -hmm. And then they in turn had their children. So. There was a whole generation of people that really didn't know who we were. Um, and I had an auntie, my oldest aunt. Sadly, she died from the COVID uh, a couple of months ago. But she always mm. told me when I was young that, you know, I want you to find my daddy's people. That's all that she used to say to me. And I would tell her that I was going to. And I never really meant it. But once I got older and I would see people with the last name Chambliss and I would wonder, you know, are they related to me? I wonder if they related to me, you know. So I eventually Uh started looking and looking and looking and digging and searching and praying because I I honestly did more praying than looking. Um, And eventually I Uh found a um, census report with my grandfather's name on it. And the last one that was there was from. 1916. So I knew then that he wow. left um, Macon, Georgia at the, in 1916. Actually, it wasn't Macon. It was Forsyth at the time, but all of the family relocated to Macon. So I, I sat mm-hmm. down um, and I started trying to get in touch with all the people. I had no luck for that with that. And eventually one day I just went on one of the um, ancestry sites and typed his name in and then up popped, like, I guess they had a family reunion and every name was on this tree except for his. There was a there was his name, but there was a question mark. 
And I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, you know, I wonder why there's a question mark by his name. Maybe this is him. So I started reaching out to the people, sending emails and stuff. And one day I received an email back from this lady that said that she was there at the family reunion, but she wasn't related to my grandfather. And she gave me a phone number of this someone else to call. And I called this lady and she said, well, yeah, you know, um, my mother did tell me that she had a brother that left when he was 16 and they never saw him again. They thought he got killed by the Ku Klux Klan. And lo and behold, you know, that was my grandfather. So we got together, you know, we met, we had a family reunion. We did the uh, DNA and everything. And we found out that, you know, we are a family. So basically I found home. Yeah, yes, it's very interesting. It's so cool the way, um, you know, not to give, like I said, not to give the spoiler for everybody, but it's so cool the way you twist it and end up kind of sharing your story. Because like I said, that had me thinking, like, you know, doing more background on your family and everything, you know, finding out where you come from, you know, when you're, when you have that family member that you don't know that much about. Right. Like being like, being able to say, hey, let's go out, let's do some research, let's look this up. Because you you definitely put in the work. Right. Um, To go find out about your, your grandfather. Thank you. So getting into the book here, first of all, thank you for sending me a copy and signing it. So oh, I'm busy, y'all. I got the copy and everything right here. You're more than welcome. <laughs> um, this cover right here, it speaks volumes in itself. You have the birth certificate, and this is John right on the front of it? Right. Well, no, actually, the picture on the front of the book is a copyright uh-huh. picture that I got from this uh, website. And interestingly, since I put that uh, picture on the cover of that book, I've seen it uh-huh. uh, on a lot of other, you know, uh, documentaries. And so that let me know that, you know, I made a pretty good choice. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it definitely will draw you in just seeing the cover and wanting and wanting to know more behind it. So um, we have the main character. We've kind of mentioned him a, a lot already. John Ch- uh, Chambliss, 16-year-old. Right. The way he starts his story out, you know, basically trying to protect his family while he's on the run. Right. What? Right. I, I was curious. What were your first, like, it's, it's just so interesting here to think about this. What did this kind of uh, have you kind of reflect on? I guess you find out about Black history in those time periods, you know, of people being afraid, you know, for their families because they're trying to protect themselves from racist acts, from being killed. Right. And, you know, sometimes they, you know, their only choice or their only form of protection is to run. Right. Well, basically, um, I was born in the South, as you can tell by the accent, um, and I'm in my 50s, <laughs> yeah. so I got to see a lot of the racism, you know, because it existed for a while, um, even after mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. said that. It, well, it's still here today. I put it like that. And um, right, I just basically wanted to show that there were some that fought back, you know. Mm-hmm. There are stories all the time about those that you know, didn't fight back and how they were mistreated. But we never hear the story of those that fought back. You know, they tell us a little bit about Nat Turner, but they make it kind of negative in the end because then they go and tell about, you know, how they used his body fat to make grease and broke his bones and, you know, shared them like Mm -hmm. as trophies and all this and that. But I wanted to show that there were some that fought back and got away. And sadly, my story is not just my story. It's the story of most Blacks uh, today. It doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. in the city or the country because, you know, there were no boats uh, letting slaves off in the city. They were either in Virginia, South Carolina, New Orleans, somewhere down south. So that my story 
is probably all of our stories in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like you can definitely see a lot of, and like I said, just the idea of wanting to go to your grandparents and saying, hey, well, I found this. Can you tell me any more? And just kind of seeing you follow that or kind of reading about you following that chain or the characters following that chain to kind of figure out more about John and, and why he was so secretive and what he had to protect. Right, right. You're exactly right. And the thing about it is that when I did this, um, the day that I found them, by the way, was exactly 100 years from the date that was on that census report. So it was like exactly mm, 100 okay. years to the date. And sadly, everyone had passed on, you know, like his mother and father had passed on. All of his siblings had passed on. So I didn't have a chance to talk to them. So basically, the only thing that we could do is just, you know, sit down and compare stories. You know, well, my mom said yeah. this and my grandma said that, you know. And together with all of it, I guess, mixed in, that's how I came up with the story. Mm-hmm. And it was and basically to um, kind of dive into more kind of the family members that had you that had you were kind of helping because you kind of see um, the characters or the way you're placed, you where you place yourself in there as well. You know, going back, like you said, you the parents, the parents, his parents were gone. You may have went to some of his other family, you know, if he had any family remaining and you kind of just had to work yourself down that chain. What were their reactions to you bringing up or, you know, having to go through this? What were your family members reactions to you tracking down more about John? My family members, they were very excited. And, and, you know, some of them dug in and they helped me. Um, And a lot of them kind of said, well, you know, I'm this old and I never met him, so I'm not going to worry about it. but. Fortunately, when we got together, everybody was there, you know, and everybody was happy. And as a result, mm-hmm. you know, I have cousins that go to Macon regularly, almost every weekend to visit, you know, our family. And um, another thing is that I don't know if, you know, like um, writing this book would be offensive to someone or not offensive, but uh, just unknown to someone. So in writing the book, I wanted to mm-hmm. make these things be known, you know, not just to my family, but to the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it's so, I didn't, you, you, like you said, you hear about these, these stories in different contexts and different, um, you know, biographies, the way people tell the past of segregation, you know, of what the Ku Klux Klan did, you know, just racism in general. Right. But to actually see John, this character, um, and by the way, listeners, you will get so pulled in to see this character, how he lived his life and that he was so afraid of saying something. Right. You know, there were so many dots that could have been connected, you know, if he didn't have, you know, if he, you know, you can't blame him for the time period that he grew up in and what he felt. But it was just, you're just thinking like, nobody's going to know without you doing this research and digging, nobody's going to know his story. Right, right. And that has to be a long list of, you know, of black people, people of color, where there's nobody to tell, you know, until they start digging and do the research, there's nobody to tell their story. Right. You know, sadly, our history doesn't start, you know in America. You know that and I know that. But in order right, for right. us to really find our history, we got to get together as a people and start, you know, doing some research, looking back, going back, and then not just here in America, mm-hmm. but taking it across the water and see where we come from. Like, I was amazed to, um, I, I'm big on like uh, ancestry and this uh, DNA and stuff. And 
to find out that, you know, I share DNA with um, Palestinians and, you know, people in the Middle East and stuff. It makes you think and it makes you wonder, like, you know, where are we really from? But it also inspires you to research and try to find out and want to know. And I think if more of us start thinking like that, then we may find out some really interesting things about us. Yeah. And it's so um, what would you say was the most interesting fact about John or the most interesting thing about his personality where you're like, man, you know, if I would have got to ask him this or, right. you know, if more people would have found out about this. The most interesting thing to me about him was the fact that, you know, as I put it in the book, he always thought about his mother. He always thought about his mother. And I think about my son. I have one son and I talk to him all the time and he seems to be so protective of me, you know. And when I was writing the book, I asked him, you know, what if this was you and, you know, you had to leave like that. And he said to me, you know, I probably wouldn't leave, you know, not if I had to leave my mom, I wouldn't leave. And that it made me think that, you know, because he was a child, he was 16 years old um, and he left, right. he never saw his family again. And then he had like one turmoil after the next. So I'm thinking that right, exactly. because he had, you know, done what he did that caused him mm -hmm. to be the type of person that he was because he wasn't a, always a very nice guy, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that's what I said. It was so many interesting um, aspects to John's personality. So I just can't imagine, you know, going back, finding that out, you know, and it's just like so many questions that come after that. Right. You know, like such an interesting um, journey you took us through. What other have you had? Have you had a lot of uh, feedback from readers, people sharing their own personal stories? I know you sent us the cool pic of uh, uh, Bernadette Stannis. Everybody we know her as Thelma from Good Times had a chance to read it. What is a lot of the feedback you've been getting? I've been getting a lot of positive feedback. <clears throat> In fact, all of the feedback that I've gotten has been positive, except for one. And there was this company, it's a, you know, credible company. Uh, they had an author's contest and I submitted my book and it cost a lot of money, mm -hmm. but you know, they, they, uh, I didn't win. And, uh, so they sent me a feedback email and they basically was telling me that, you know, this is not your typical story of racism and that they don't see it being mm -hmm. in a movie, you know? And at first I was kind of sad about it. I was like, all the work I put into this book. But then I sat down and I thought about it. I was like, hey, they told me just what I wanted to hear because I don't want my book to be the typical story of racism. I want my book to tell the story yeah. right, of one who fought back. And so that made me feel real good. And I tell everybody that the best feedback I got was the one negative feedback that I got. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You build it, build off that negative and push it and keep it pushing. Yeah, that's how you do it. Um I wanted to ask you about this quote I kind of seen that I thought was um was really uh dope and kind of it kind of it kind of encapsulated everything really nicely and I saw it a lot of times throughout the book. You said find your purpose in the true adventure of faith. Yes. Can you kind of tell how did you, how did you where do you come to that and what do you kind of mean by that for all the listeners? Okay, what I mean is this. Without faith, you know, works is dead. So you have to have faith in anything that you do. If you don't have in faith, if you mm -hmm. don't have faith in whatever it is that you're doing, then it's probably not going to be successful. And then having faith in yourself and in the things that you do can often be very adventurous, very adventurous, because there were so many twists and turns and stories that I heard about my grandfather. And I was like, wow, had I not had faith in me 
you know, connecting with our family, then I wouldn't have been able to put some of the things that I put in that book. And some of the things are very interesting because they had me sitting down like, wow, I had to take a break for a minute, you know, put myself in his shoes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. say, wow, I can only imagine how he felt, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so many twists and, and you kind of want like, and you know, definitely guys go check it out. If you're looking for, like we keep saying a new angle on a story. I mean, this, it starts out 16 year old. I can't imagine um, even put together what he was going through. And so just to hear this, this story of uh, John Chambliss, you guys definitely need to go check it out. It's uh, definitely a cool new, interesting twist. It's black history month. So it fits in there. Um, Jessica, as we kind of wrap up here, now I know since you're a poet, writer, author, I know you probably got some other ideas cooking up. You got anything you want to tease for us as we kind of sign off? Yes, I do. I'm working on my second book, actually, which is a children's book, because I truly believe that Mm -hmm, children mm -hmm. are our future. And I feel like somewhere along the way, we neglected them as far as making them feel confident in things that they do or believe in themselves. So the title of the book is called If I Could, and it's a good book. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Hey, we like that. We like that. We like that little tease. You left left us hanging, so we got to find out. We got to do some research and find out. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Everybody stay safe and I will talk to you later. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.